Welcome to The Brian Buffini Show, where we explore the mindsets, motivation, and methodologies of success. Here's your host, Brian Buffini. Well, the top of the morning to you, and welcome to The Brian Buffini Show. Delighted you're joining us today. Very excited for you. We have a friend of this program, a friend of our events, the great Mitch Albom is joining us today from Detroit. The top of the morning to you, Mitch. Hi, Brian. How are you doing? It's great to have you here again. For those of you new to the program or you've been living under a rock, Mitch Albom has sold 36 million copies of his books in the last few years. Six consecutive New York Times number one bestsellers, whether it's Tuesdays with Maury or the five people you meet in heaven. And we're here to talk about a book that's coming out today that I think is going to be the seventh bestseller. Certainly, if we have anything to do with it here. Fantastic read. Thank you for sending me the advanced copy. Love this book. It's the first time ever you've done a sequel. Now, I'm thinking about The Godfather 2, Rocky 2, and The Empire Strikes Back, Mitch. They were all maybe better than the first, and I'm thinking maybe this could be better than the first. So excited to have you on today and talk a little bit about the next person you meet in heaven. Can I do a little bit of backdrop for the folks uh, here today and kind of give them a backdrop on the five people and then allude to the story? It's all written out here for me, and then I want to dive in and get your take on on how you came about writing this book. So for those of you who don't know, The Five People You Meet in Heaven is a fantastic book. In that book, the main character is Eddie, and I love Eddie. He's a grizzled vet. I think he's loosely based on your uncle. Is that right? That's right, yeah. He dies. He's a mechanic in an amusement park. He dies saving a young girl named Annie from a tragic accident. You know, he felt his life was kind of meaningless, and when Eddie gets to go to heaven, he learns that the five people he meets, that his life actually mattered quite a bit. And so this story picks up where the last one left off, like all great sequels do, and now we kind of get into Annie's story, the girl that he saved. So just tell us a little bit about Annie's story and where that picks up. Well, as you mentioned, and thanks for all that, Brian, so the first book really focused on Eddie going to heaven and finding out that this meaningless life that he thought he had was actually very meaningful and Mm -hmm. that he touched people in all kinds of ways. And the five people you meet in heaven are not necessarily people you knew or friends of yours or family. Some might be, but some might just be somebody who you had a couple of minutes of contact with. But in those couple of minutes, they changed your direction of life and you changed theirs forever. Mm -hmm. And of course, throughout the course of the first book, he's constantly saying, did I save the little girl? Did I save the little girl? Mm He doesn't know, and only at the very end does he find out what happened with her. So I always wondered, okay, well, so what happens to her? I mean, because let's face it, her life was totally altered by him. Mm-hmm. If he didn't push her out of the way from this falling cart at an amusement park ride, she would have died instead. He would have lived, and everything would have been different. So this book picks up with her. It's 15 years ago since I wrote the book. Mm. So this picks up with her a little longer than 15 years later. Mm. She is now a young adult in her early 30s, and she's had a life in which she basically has felt that everything that she's done was kind of a mistake. Mm. Ever since the accident, which ended up taking her hand, we didn't know about that in the first book, but while she lived, she lost her hand, and they had to sort of surgically repair it. And while they put it back on, she was never the same. She was always the kid who was scarred and, mm. and you know, was different in school. And, and as a result of that, she always felt like everything she did was a mistake, a mistake, a mistake. And this book explores what happens when she dies sort of suddenly and tragically and goes to heaven and meets 
her five people, one of whom is Eddie. Mm. Because let's face it, if you want to talk about somebody who changed your life, it would be him. And what happened when they reunite and how he kind of explained her life to her. And so it's a nice bookend to the first book. In the world we live in today, it was pretty inspired for you to, to write a book in the first place that said the five people you meet in heaven, right? It, don't mm-hmm. talk religion, don't talk politics, and yet here you write a book that's universally accepted, sells millions of copies, and inspires people all over the world because I think truly there are universal principles that unite us and join us and desires of the heart, and you had the chops to do it. But the big premise of this book that's so fantastic is that there's no such thing as a nobody, and there are no mistakes. And that's something that really kind of struck me about the book. Because, you know, I'm coaching people all the time. Our company's coaching people all the time. And people are always asking, do I have value? And I think a lot of people go through life like Annie, and they think, I made one mistake after another mistake after another mistake and after another mistake. And it turns out a lot of those things aren't actually mistakes as just the perspective of it. And we lose the big picture where we're actually really living the good life, if you will. Yeah, well, you're absolutely right, and I do meet a lot of people who view the things that they did as a mistake, and you just want to say, but if you just walk around the back of it, mm-hmm. and you look and see how by doing that, that led you to not do something else second time around, mm-hmm. or that led you to meet somebody else that you wouldn't have met if you hadn't made that mistake, and right. as it all turns out, it's a mistake is just the way you look at it. Right. If you look at it as okay, that was something I did that didn't work out, but as a result of that door closing, something else opened for me, then it's a whole different view. And just as Eddie had to learn that there's no such thing as meaningless, you know, every day you interact with somebody in some way and change their mood or change their fate in some way, so too is you're not doomed to make mistakes. It's just how you look at it. So, yeah, I was anxious to write a story from that perspective because like you, I've met a lot of people who just can't get out of, their own perspective of looking at everything kind of from a negative point of view. Well, there's a powerful statement in the book that says we embrace our scars more than our healing. And this is a gal who's been scarred. She's gone through life and she has a an obvious scar. She's had to have her hand reattached. And that is the focus. And, you know, again, it's that perspective piece. But I think, you know, it's so easy to focus on the negative. It's so easy to focus on the challenge. And we miss out on the big stuff. Why do you think that is the human condition that... We don't even sometimes even acknowledge that healing's taken place because all we do is focus on the scar. Yeah. Well, when I thought about that sentence and I wrote it, I realized even as I was writing it how true it is for me and for everybody else. Think about the times that you've had an accident or uh, you broke your arm or you got a big cut or you can probably remember the day, the time of day, what you were wearing, where you were, all that kind of stuff. But then the day that that scar was 100% gone, or the day that you didn't feel any pain from your arm anymore because it had totally healed. Nobody remembers that day. Uh-huh. Nobody red letter marks that day that they were better. Uh-huh. They always remark the day that they got something, but they never mark the day that they were better. Uh-huh. Well, it's just because we tend to live without a lot of gratitude, I think. Mm. You know, we tend to live more in like, oh, woe is me. Right. But we don't tend to live in, oh, thank you for letting me feel okay. You know, thank you, world. Thank you, God. Thank you, you know, uh, forces of nature for letting me feel fine. Mm -hmm. We just want to mark the days we don't feel fine. Mm -hmm. And so if you take a different attitude and take a little different approach to gratitude, I think we'd appreciate things. Yeah, and, and, you know, you'd think about those things. You know, when gratitude is present, 
there's other things that can't be present simultaneously. You can't feel entitled and grateful at the same time. You know, you can't right. feel grateful and envious at the same time. And, you know, it's right. funny. You, you come from the sports world where, you know, people who many times come from the worst possible circumstances imaginable and sometimes, not all times, but sometimes lose perspective and, you know, I, I'm not going to play. How can I feed my family on $14 million a year? Right. And, you know, 15 years ago, 14 bucks was a big deal, you know. Right. Not to throw the athletes on the bus because that's just the most extreme example. We all do that every hour of the day. You know, and it's funny, in preparation for this podcast today, you know, I know, and we're going to talk a little bit about how involved you are in Haiti and so on and so forth. And it's just ironic, every time I have you on the program, when we had Scott Hamilton on, the ice skater, at Mastermind when you were speaking, unbeknownst to me, uh, I, I didn't know that he had adopted two kids from Haiti. Uh, and now you had your whole story. This Sunday, I'm, I'm at church, and I was visiting this church of a guy we kind of helped out years ago, and he's starting his new church, and he asked us to be there. And he does this whole thing. He had just spent a month in Haiti. So here I am. Every time I mention to somebody Mitch Album, I end up in some conversation or interaction about Haiti. <laughs> but he was talking about gratitude, and he goes, you know, we're here in North County, San Diego, in a kind of a very exclusive area. And he goes, he listed off all the kind of waters we have, you know, and he have the pH added water, and we have the vitamin water, and we have the ionized water, and we have the, the desalinized water, and we have all the systems in our house for the water. He said, I just spent a month in a place where the kids I was with would walk four miles a day to carry a bucket of water. Yeah. And to go yeah. to the bathroom or wash their hands. And he yeah. goes... You know, he's been in ministry for all these years, but he goes, I will never look at water the same way. Right, right. And see, but all it takes is one of those incidents, like you just described, to go and be in a place where it's different, and then your perspective changes. Mm -hmm. There's a character in the book, the second person that Annie meets in heaven, mm -hmm. who, if you want to reveal who she is or what, I'll let you, uh, I won't. <laughs> but at one point, she says to her, what's the end of being depressed? because she talks about how being depressed in her life and being mm -hmm. sad. And Annie says to her, you know, well, how do you stop feeling that way? When does the end come? And she says, when you realize all the need that there is in the world. Mm. And once you realize the need that's in the world, you stop feeling sorry for yourself because there's so many people out there mm -hmm. who are in need and who you could help. And once you start helping someone else, it's amazing how that almost erases the feeling of depression you have about your own particular right. condition because you recognize that someone else may have it worse. Right. And it's so amazing to me, Brian, how inverse a ratio that is, and that's proven to be in my life too. It is direct proportion. The amount of self-pity I have goes away in direct proportion to the amount of time I spend helping somebody else mm. who needs help. Wow. And so you get this double whammy of, A, you're doing good for somebody else, and B, you're erasing your own pain and the self-pity by doing it, which is a double reason to do it. You know, wow. it's just that some people don't know how or have the chance, but uh, it's out there. It's out there. If we open our eyes and ears, if we take our eyes off ourselves, which is becoming increasingly more challenging in the culture we live in, in today, because it's so easy to become self-absorbed and the me, me monster, right? But you take your eyes up off yourself and your own problems onto someone else's problems, and it's almost as we help that person heal, it heals us. It's exactly what it is. Yeah, and, and Annie learns that, too, you know, something she had felt sorry for herself so much of her own life, mm -hmm. and she's shown that, you know, all you got to do is, is 
turn your attention to helping somebody else and the feeling sorry for yourself goes away pretty quickly. I think for those folks who are listening perhaps and listening to Mitch for the first time, you realize they're deep waters here and that's why the book we can talk all about the book your writing style is full of twists and turns it's never predictable my kids will turn to me five minutes into a movie and go dad what's going to happen and i'm normally pretty good but i'm never able to do that with a mitch album book and even though i've read all your stuff and i know your style you still get me every time but there's such profound stuff such beautiful truth in there one quote that really jumped out for me from the five people you meet in heaven was Fairness does not govern life and death. And, you know, in the world we're living in today, you know, people are, we quickly go to this fairness and this is unfair. And again, it comes back to me, you know, as you go through this and you talk about grief and death come to us all at some point in time, whether it's fair or not, the themes in this book, they bring up death, grief, faith, heaven. What theme would you say resonates most with the people who've read the book and have given you feedback over the years? What do you think that really uh, reaches people and touches people? With the Five People book? Yeah. Five People in Heaven book? Well, there are a couple. The one that I hear a lot about from people is about sacrifice. In that book, the Army captain sacrifices his life to save Eddie's small battalion. Uh He steps on a landmine, you know, to sort of absorb it, and they escape, and he doesn't. And Eddie says, you know, sacrifice, you know, the captain's trying to teach about sacrifice. He said, but yeah, but you lost everything. Uh And he says to him, no, no, that's the whole thing about sacrifice. You don't lose, you just give to somebody else, Mm. you know, and that's what sacrifice really means. Mm. It's not about your loss, it's about what you are able to give to somebody else. I died so that you could live. You know, that is a great feeling when you get to heaven, you know. It's not what you think it is on earth. So I've heard a lot about that. And, of course, the one that probably I hear the most of is that Eddie had an amazing love affair with his wife in the book. She was the love of his life. He met her when she was just a kid at the amusement park, and, you know, he went off to war, and she waited for him, very much the World War II story, and he came back, and he never looked at another woman his whole life, and she was absolutely the apple of his eye and everything, and she died young, and, of course, he gets to meet her in heaven, Mm. and he says, you know, when you died, I lost everything and she says to him no you didn't i was always there with you all that time and he says well, i thought about you every day and she says i know i felt it and he said you felt it in heaven she said yeah even here in heaven and she talks about how love doesn't ever go away it just takes a different form you mm-hmm. can't hold the person anymore you can't dance with the person anymore you maybe you can't you know feel them on the pillow next to you but then they move from those places into a special place in your heart and every time you remember them, they're still alive, and every time you think of them, that little signal sends all the way up to heaven and connects the two of you. And, of course, so many people have lost loved ones, mm. lost their wives or husbands. That I think that that gave them a lot of comfort, and I have heard about that one quite a bit. I like to prescribe books. You come to my office here at the Buffini Company, you know, I get thousands of letters every month, and a lot of times someone will write me a note and so on and so forth, and, and sometimes I'll prescribe a book. You know, i got a young person on their journey. Uh-huh. I'm like, I'll send them Dr. Seuss's All the Places You'll Go, or, you know, maybe they're fighting cancer. I'll send them Lou Tice's book, Smart Talk, and his wife's journey through cancer for 40 years and how she thrived through that and all these different things. But when someone loses somebody, I send them the five people you meet in heaven. Uh-huh. It's this story that takes them away. They kind of lose themselves in this beautiful story, and then it kind of gently brings them up to this very point that they're dealing with in a very, very comforting way. They get lost in the story, and all of a sudden they get... I mean, it has a deep, profound 
impact on people. I've been prescribing that for folks for a long time. So, Well, good. Thank you, Doctor. <laughs> Dr. Buffini. So thinking about this now, we're talking about sacrifice and so on and so forth. And your Uncle Eddie inspired the first book. You dedicated this book to Chica. Yeah. Do you want to share a little bit about Chica and who Chica is and what she represents sure. to you in, in this well, book? Sure. So you mentioned a little earlier, I have a, an orphanage in Haiti that I operate and have for the last almost nine years now. I go to every month, and we have 47 kids there that we're raising of different ages, many of them you know, absolute orphans, uh, many of them victims of uh, hurricanes or earthquakes or things where they just, some were even left out to die in the woods, you know, by we don't even know who, and, you know, they were found. We take kids without birth certificates, without names in many cases, and in this particular case, we had this one young girl who had lost her mother when she was two and a half years old, and she came to us, and she was a real pistol, you know, for the first two, three years she was with us. She bossed around every single kid that was there. I think most of them were terrified of her, to be honest. And uh, her name was Chica, and she just had a big personality, and she was, you know, very colorful and funny. And then at age five, she developed a brain tumor that is just beyond cruel for children. It's something called DIPG, which is a four-letter word for death. Uh, no one ever survives it. And we brought her up here, and she basically became our daughter. We you know, basically adopted her, and she lived with us for the next two years as we traveled around the world trying to find a cure for the incurable. And she was with us every single day, you know, wasn't able to go to school or anything like that, so literally every minute of every day. And she was a blessing, even though ultimately she succumbed to the tumor, but she fought it off for 23 months, and that's basically something that, most kids are gone after about five months, so she was extremely brave and extremely strong. And meanwhile, during those nearly two years, we got to see what it was like to be a family in the greatest way, you know, with all the most precious things and then, of course, all the most tragic. And mm. something proves precious to you when you know you're going to lose it right. or when you're aware you could lose it. And so every day was precious with her. And I dedicated the book to her because, you know, in, in essence, the next person you meet in heaven starts with a little girl, right. you know, an eight-year-old girl in that case, and follows her life. And even within the story, Annie herself has a child when she's very young and loses it. And there's the whole question of well, what happens to a, mm. a baby? Mm -hmm. You know, where did the babies go to heaven too? Are they there? And when she's in heaven, she has a chance to find out mm. the fate of that child. And of course, I you know, wonder about that every day, sure. you know, having lost Chica. And so sometimes you just sort of project the issues that you're thinking about into your fictional characters. And I realized when the book was finished how much of of my feelings about Chica and little girls and your life and how they, you know, the delight and the joy that they are found its way into this book. So I dedicated the book to her. Well, profound stuff. And I appreciate you sharing that because I don't know how that's going to minister to somebody, but I know it just did. And you know, it seems like oftentimes out of our greatest wounds, that's where our greatest opportunity to serve and minister and meet other people's needs is. If ever you want to check out Mitch's Facebook, April 7th, 2017, you wrote a letter about Chica that was one of the most, I know this thing went all over the world because it was so profound and so well-written and so powerful and from the heart and just raw. But the thing that really struck me about that was it wasn't that you viewed this as we lost a daughter, 
but look at what we had. And that is a perspective that I think is something that is pervasive throughout all your works. You focused on what you got to have for several years with this blessing of this little girl and all of the joys of that. Even though somewhere inside the infinite love of God, there's a place for suffering. That was my first grade teacher, Father Murphy. And at the time, I didn't want to hear it. But, you know, 48 years later, I still know how to quote it because it stuck with me all these years, you know? Yeah, that's a very Irish quote. Yeah, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. But you are right what you said. You can't lose a child, and you don't lose a child, and we didn't lose a child. We were given one, and that's the way that I think we all have to look at whether our children are blessed enough to grow up, and then they leave childhood. You know, we lament that, too. Oh, why can't they be a kid anymore? I liked it when they were so cute and I bound now. Now they're talking back to me and now they're taking the car. And now they, you know, and then now they're telling me they're, they're old enough to drink and all this stuff. What happened to my kid? Yeah. So in some way, we all lose our yeah. children, yep. you know, eventually and we lament. But we were given that time to be yep. parents and it is really a blessing. And I try to get that across in this book as well. Well, it's funny. You know, I, I have six kids, and my last two kids, I was mentioning, we rearranged our time together here on a podcast because tomorrow I'm going on a recruiting visit. And here's these college coaches doing the dog and pony show and try to sell my twins. You know, they're one of them's short, you know, real short, and she like, still looks like a little girl to me, you know, and I'm looking at the empty nest. But I think, like, yeah. even just what you're saying, it's the joy. We're redeeming every day. I'm soaking up every minute I can right now. And uh, redeeming the day and focusing on what we have and what we've had, you know, and I know we're just going to a new phase of life, but it's a great way to look at it. It's a great way to get through the day. Well, with that many kids, Brian, you're going to have grandkids <laughs> soon enough, and you're going to get to go through it all over yep. again. Well, I already have one. My son is the yeah. guy in the military we talked about who was the football player. He's, uh, I got a six-month-old, so we're already on the wagon, so it's, it's a good life. Let me ask you this. What do you hope people are going to take from the next person you meet in heaven? Well, I guess the overall lesson would be that there are no such things as mistakes, mm. you know. Just as with the five people you mean in heaven, the big thing was, you know, my life is meaningless. No, there's no such thing as a meaningless life, and there's no such thing as a life that doesn't touch somebody. And in this case, once again, there's no such thing as a life that doesn't touch somebody, and even your mistakes, you were touched by somebody, and you touched somebody in what you were making them. And Ironically, Annie doesn't even realize that, in Eddie's case, she died trying to save her from this accident. In her case, she's in a balloon on the night of her wedding, the morning after. They had a great wedding. She finally married the man of her dreams, and they decided to take a sunrise balloon ride to cap off the wedding night. And an accident happens while they're in the balloon, which periodically does happen with balloons. And the thing, you know, crashes to the ground, and her husband you know, throws her out of the basket just in time before the balloon lifts up and then explodes into flames, and he's hurled from it. And she's okay, but he's not, and he needs a lung transplant, and she says, take mine. You know, there's no time to go to registries and all the rest of it, just take mine. And she actually is trying to save him, dies while she's trying to save him, and somehow still views it as a mistake. Right. You know, like it was my idea to take that, balloon trip and mm. you know and so i ruined everything mm. and you know she needs the whole book to try to learn that you know no she even the last act that she did in her waking life was trying to save somebody that she loved and right. so even that mistake led to her most noble act and right. so that's what i i think i would want people to take out of it that stop viewing life as, as a series of mistakes 
and view them as, as just a series of occurrences from which we learn. Right. And as long as we're improving and going forward, it can't be a mistake. Well, profound stuff. And I think not only the actions we take not view them as a mistake, but we ourselves are not mistakes. You know, I was struck by that. You know, it's, this was kind of a sports-type related piece. But I went to a private showing of Creed when it first came out. And I've always been a big Rocky fan and all that stuff. But at the end of that movie, he's in there doing his fight. And the classic, you know, you, we know what Sylvester's going to do. I mean, right. come on. We've had six of these. Here comes the music. Dun, 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 the whole thing. Right. And it's the last crunch piece. And so all of a sudden, he goes, what are you fighting for? And he's like, I, I, want, I want to prove. What are you trying to prove? That I wasn't a mistake. That he himself, you know, born out of, you know, his dad had an affair with somebody. And and I walked out of that movie, and the number of people that were bawling their eyes out, and there was a little get-together afterwards, and I said, okay, tell me, what are you feeling? Like, it was a great movie, and it was, and they go, you know, my mom and dad weren't married, my dad got married, you know, they got married because they got pregnant right. with me, and I've always felt right. I was a mistake. I've always felt I was a mistake. I just wow. think this book is going to tap into this, not only what she's done in her life, but also who she is. I think she thinks she's a mistake and everything yeah. about it. And so going through this, it's a book that is awash in grace, that is awash with perspective. You know, and I can say this, I'll embarrass you for a second, but I, I'm a promoter by nature. There's a lot of people who call me all the time who want to promote their book and whatever else, and we just don't do it. And there's a lot of people in the marketplace today that they're trying to be rich and famous. We've covered this in all your presentations in the past on where you were, your own rock star career and what you tried to do and how, you know, ultimately doing something to give for your old school teacher, Maury, turned into Tuesdays with Maury and how that transformed your life. But it's a yeah. beautiful thing in life today, Mitch, the position you come from where you get to do this for the joy, for the service, for the blessing. If it sells a bunch, great. More interviews, great. You're able to accept that, all of that as it comes. But it's rare in our culture today where we can receive a message that's very pure. And that's what this book is, and that's what your writing is. And I think in it, there's people that are going to be, they're going to see themselves, they're going to see people they know, and I think it's going to minister, heal, and comfort an awful lot of people. And I think it's really delivered with a pure heart. I, I love the fact that you're launching the book at a, as a charity event instead of some snooty cocktail party in New York, and I've been part of those things. So, by the way, for yeah. any of you live up in that area in Detroit, October 14th, the charity book launch, you can go and get a ticket for that at, at Ticketmaster. That, that's going to be amazing. I think it's going to change the world. I think it's going to be even more impactful than, than the five people you meet in heaven, and I think it's, it's fabulous. Oh. Well, Brian, I, I couldn't begin to thank you for that many kind words <laughs> in a single little uh, rant. That was just beautiful. And I'm not sure I'm worthy of all that, but, but you're very kind. And I'll return the compliment in that, you know, you, you have been... When my friend Dick Schapp, who did the uh, sports reporters sure. and hosted the show for many, many years, passed away, Jimmy Breslin, the fine, amazing, I believe, Irish columnist yep. Yep. the New York Daily News for all those years, he wrote what I thought was the single best sentence about Dick Schapp and the single nicest thing you can say about somebody who you encounter in your life who's not family he said he was a friend behind your back mm. you know and you're like that yeah. you know you do things like that you've done for me in the short time that i've known you and i know that you do it for others that you know you think of ways that you can help somebody or do something nice for them when no one's watching not for credit not for spotlight and 
and you you have that, and I think that's why you've been successful because you've been willing to do that for other people without a payoff. In other words, being nice is not a trade for you. Mm-hmm. Like, well, I'll do something good for you as long as there's something good that's coming back. You know, <laughs> what are you going to give me for it? You're a friend behind people's back, mm-hmm. and that's a good trait to have. You know, and and I aspire to be somebody like that. I try to be like that with my friends too, because you know, I'd like at the end when it, where we're all sort of cashing in our chips. I'd like someone to say, you know, he was he was good to me when he, not for any other reason, but because he wanted to be good, you know. Right. You are that. I appreciate that's That's a lovely sentence. That's a great phrase. That does sound very Irish. And, you know, I think the hope for us all is that there's a lot of surprises for us all in heaven when we meet people and we have no idea the people's lives we touched along the way. And we spend a long, long time meeting not just the five, but the 55 and the 555 and and uh, finding out where we actually did make a difference. And the key is to redeem the time now, have the right perspective, and understand that there are no mistakes, and we're, we're serving people everywhere we go. And none of us have any idea how much we can possibly impact somebody just today, just in this day, if this was all the days we were given. So it's beautiful. I'm looking forward to finishing it again. I went through it in preparation for the interview, but I'm looking forward to kind of having it with, you know, me feet up, in the warm pool, digesting it. And I know it's uh, spectacular work. So I appreciate you very much. It and won't take you very long. That's it's good. It's pretty short, so you don't have to worry about being in the pool for very long. <laughs> I, I put all this effort in, and I come up with a book that's like 180 pages, basically. Yeah. And everyone says, why don't you write longer? I said, I don't know. I just, they just kind of come out short, and then I'm finished. So Yeah, well, that's the world we live in today. You can read the five people you meet in heaven and this book together in less time than it takes to watch a movie. So, <laughs> Yep, well, that's about the attention span of an Irishman anyway, so I, <laughs> I, I appreciate it. Well, listen, thanks for joining us today. You're a jewel of a guy. Congratulations on the book. Folks, it's the next person you meet in heaven. It's in everywhere fine books are sold. You can buy it today. If you can get on the horse and buy it today, then that helps get the book out. The book becomes a bestseller, and all of these good sentiments and all this thought and all of what you've heard about Mitch Album today, that then grows, and then the book becomes a bestseller, and then more people want to read it because it's a bestseller, and the next thing you know, we're blessing people. Maybe for those of you in our coaching program, maybe you want to do this. Why don't you buy 10 copies and bring one to every one of your favorite customers and do a little pop-by, visit them, and say, I think this book's going to bless you. I hope you enjoy it. And then go and have a coffee with them a month later and share what you've learned from the book. If I'm in real estate today, that's what I'm doing. I'm going to be buying this book, I'm sure. I'll be prescribing it the way I do all my other books. So thanks for joining us again, Mitch. We love you. Appreciate you. The best of luck with the book. And we'll be talking to you soon. Thanks. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Take care. Well, I hope you enjoyed today. I certainly did. Every time... I read Mitch Albom's books every time we talk on the phone or in a podcast or at one of our events. I always feel blessed, and I hope you feel blessed today. And before we finish here today, I'm going to send you over to a man who's been a blessing to me for almost 17 years. That's our producer, Mr. David Lally. Thanks, Brian. I get to work with you in all the projects and content here, and I wanted to take a moment to point something out to our listeners. Mitch Album is one of the all-time best-selling authors, 35 million copies of his books in the last 20 years. And Brian Buffini has built the most successful business coaching company in America. Two very successful people you listen to today. But something I noticed and often see here at the studio is that they were all about serving one another and giving back. They might be at the top of their profession, but they're still looking for ways to help each other out. It'll be easy to say, well, they're successful. Of course, they're all about giving back. 
But I've been on the journey with Brian for almost 20 years, and I can tell you firsthand this is how he became successful. It's pretty countercultural to give first. We often hear the opposite of dog-eat-dog and the kind of get-ahead mentality. But you listen to two people at the very top today, and it was the opposite of that. I loved the phrase, a friend behind his back. The team here in the studio felt very fortunate that this is what we did for work today. So it's great stuff. Thanks again, Mitch. And don't forget to share the show with others so they too get the benefit of this awesome free content. As we finish today, I'll leave you with a little Irish blessing from Brian's mum, Therese. May the road rise up to meet you, and may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields, and the sun shine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. See you next time. <laughs>